brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Do you guys love mobile racing games and NFT collections? Then check out Meta Racer X. It's a mobile racing game, NFT collection, and VR gaming experience all rolled into one. With the earn element utilizing Prodigy tokens, players are not only able to put their tokens online in gameplay, but have the ability to grow their Prodigy token holdings by investing or earning in-game incentives. MetaRacer X offers high-end graphic gaming experiences with creative gameplay and a competitive racing system. So check them out. It's MetaRacerX.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at Meta underscore Racer underscore X or on Twitter at Meta underscore Racer X. MetaRacer X is a collection of 10,000 unique 3D art pieces that are about to drop on the Ethereum blockchain. 
They also have a Discord server. Just search for Meta Racers X. You can also just directly link to that Discord server and all of the social media that I just told you. If you look at their Twitter, uh, they have a link tree where all of these are available for you. But if you want more information, you can, of course, check them out on social media. But I would recommend you go right to their website at MetaRacerX.com. They're building a community of gamers, NFT collectors, and fans of racing. They're rolling out a motorsport NFT collection created by, by a major design studio, and they use NFTs to race the community and earn prizes. And the most exciting element of the project, their introduction of MRX to the VR world. Guys, check out MetaRacerX.com today. This is WWE superstar Drew McIntyre, and you're listening to the WWE Podcast. One that everybody wants me. Okay, everybody, welcome to the WWE Podcast. I'm here with Anthony DeMarco, and tonight we're going to be doing the current state of WWE Part 2 in lieu of the What If, which will make a return, but right now... There's so much going on leading up to WrestleMania 38, and not all of it is good news, uh, Anthony, as, as I'm sure you have heard by now. Uh, the news came out just a short while ago that Scott Hall has uh, has died, and uh, it was a surgery, a hip surgery that he was going through, and it was um, just a, a complication where I guess it was a blood clot floating around, and he ended up having three heart attacks on life support, and he's gone uh so uh, just an absolute sad sad state of affairs and you know when i saw him trending on twitter i i said this to my uh to our listeners on last night's show i said you know when you see somebody trending you know like all right who died you know usually unfortunately it's something not good of why somebody's trending especially an older wrestler and i thought that okay he's dead and he wasn't he was on life support at that point and you're thinking you know you kind of connect the dots like okay he's had prior drug use and all this so i was thinking, oh, well, he's probably had a drug overdose, and obviously that's not the case. But nonetheless, uh, Anthony, what are your thoughts on this? It's very sad because Scott Hall is a guy that I feel like isn't talked about enough for what he meant to the wrestling business, not just WWF, but obviously WCW as well, in the mid to late 1990s. And, you know, being one of the major original defectors from the WWF over to WCW, really legitimizing that brand alongside Kevin Nash and in his own way kind of made a name for himself. Obviously, Razor Ramon was a legend in his own right in the WWF, but I felt like when he made that transition over to Nitro in WCW, he brought his legacy to a whole new level and... Maybe when I was growing up, he wasn't talked about as much because of his failed return to the company in 2002, in large part to the addictions that he fought, as you just mentioned. But I felt like in the, let's say, early to mid-2010s is when he started to get more of the recognition that he deserved by conquering those demons. I'm sure he had a long road beyond that. I know on your show, I believe it was last night, you brought up uh, his journey with Diamond Dallas Page. But I think that in a weird way, it's kind of unfortunate that 
we didn't get to celebrate his career as much as it should have been because he was a damn good wrestler. He was a damn good character and he flew under the radar in my mind, at least for a lot of years, just because of his personal demons. And by the time that he had conquered those demons, it was kind of like of yesteryear. And maybe now following his passing, we could try and look back on his career more and appreciate him more. Because when you really break it down, he really was a special competitor in the 1990s. He he was. And it's always sad when it takes someone's, someone's death to realize how valuable they were to something. And, you know, now we can all go back and we'll all miss him and we'll all take a look at his career. It's just, it's sadly, I mean, that seems to only happen once somebody's gone, you recognize the value that they provided, but that that's, that's just the way I think we are as human beings sometimes uh, for better or worse. But with Scott Hall, yeah, I mean, he growing up in, in the attitude era, you were in ruthless aggression. I was the generation before, but I still recognize the value that he brought to the NWO. I mean, I, I hated that faction because I was WWF all the way. You talk about the brand rivalry that's manufactured. The WWF-WCW war was real, and you had fans that were, were loyal to one side or the other. And I was all WWF all the way. And when I saw those guys on TV, I was, you know, I, I, I hated them. I was like, these guys are garbage. You know, I, well, I, I didn't think that they were not talented, but I, I just wanted WWF to come out on top. Now, Scott Hall joining into the NWO and that infamous bash at the beach in 1996 when Hogan turned uh, turned evil is going to forever remain in the minds of fans and will be part of Scott Hall's legacy. Him joining that MWO uh, group and he'll he will be forever remembered as that, although, yes, he is Razor Ramon, too, and the whole AO, all that, which I'm sure you'll hear and hashtagged a billion times over the next week. And it's deservedly so, though. I mean, and I'm sure we'll see video packages from WWE, absolutely deservingly so. You'll see the Hall of Fame speech. I've already seen parts of that floating around Twitter. And he is a guy that just was, he was larger than life. Um, he broke into the business and immediately made an impact. He had that infamous match at WrestleMania. I think it was WrestleMania 10 against Shawn Michaels in the first ever ladder match. Um, and I believe it's for the Intercontinental Championship, too. So Razor Ramon, uh, Scott Hall, as you and I know him better in the NWO, I think is going to... He's going to be one of those guys that WWE will likely even create a documentary for. And, and you'll hear several different takes on it, and I think they'll do an excellent job. And I, I would love to revisit Scott Hall's career because I don't think I really fully, truly appreciate what he brought to the business and what he contributed. It's crazy because we typically do this show and name it What If, and what a What If could actually be like, what if his return to the company in 02 had panned out? Let's say that he wasn't fighting all those personal demons like just briefly do you think had he been able to you know work out his personal problems earlier in the 2000s before he made his return to wwe maybe we could have seen a semi-main event run for him sure yeah i mean at that point he was 
43 years old, so he was at the still in the, the twilight of his career, but had some decent matches left in him. I mean, he had that match at WrestleMania 18 against Stone Cold Steve Austin that everyone in, you know, that I talked to believes it should have been Austin Hogan. I don't know how they missed that one. Yes, Hogan Rock certainly worked, but I don't know how you don't go Austin Hogan. I mean, when I, when Austin faced Scott Hall, it felt like a step down for Stone Cold, and that's no disrespect to uh, Scott Hall, but it just didn't feel right to me. But yeah, sure, Scott Hall definitely could have had a, a, a small uh, impactful year year and a half maybe two year run i mean why not the guy at that point was you know, he's 43 hell you have guys coming back that are a lot older than him that are still putting on really good matches brock lesnar is an example he's he's you know north of 45 he's heading to 50 and yeah brock lesnar is of course a once in a generation athlete but he's i think that yeah the answer is yes he could have and it's it's a shame that his demons did uh take and steal a lot of that away from him but, you know is it a guarantee no but sure why not i, I think he could have absolutely had a, a small impactful hot run yeah i i always wondered that because when the nwo came over in 2002 it it, it was a botched run i think we could call a spade a spade it was a completely botched run and they kind of left it to Kevin Nash to steer the ship. And then he brought in HBK for a brief moment. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I remember HBK. that, yes. <laughs> I don't even know if he actually wrestled a match as part of the NWO. <laughs> but, but I remember they had like the big show in there. Obviously, X-Pac, Booker T. And obviously, a lot of that had to do with them turning Hulk Hogan back to his original 80s babyface gimmick. And then Scott Hall leaving and... You know, Kevin Nash only lasted in WWE on a, on a full-time basis for, what, about a year and a half? He left in 2003. I think he left right after SummerSlam 03, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, Scott Hall, I think he's a guy that never won a world title, if I'm not mistaken. And given the fact that The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin left shortly after his return to the company in 02, the door would have certainly been open for him to maybe grab that brass ring as a main eventer. The door was there, yeah. I mean, Hogan sure was the leader and will forever be named. Probably recognizes the biggest name ever in pro wrestling because just of his longevity and the impact he made in both companies, WWF and WCW. But Scott Hall, there, there was a hole there. I mean, absolutely, there was an opportunity there, and he could have easily filled it. And, uh, you know, his demons and maybe other things we don't know about that were going on. And it was it was a botched run, no doubt about it, no doubt about it. And it wasn't a I don't think it was a total disaster. I'll say that. I mean, there were some interesting things that happened. Of course, we got Hogan Rock at, uh, in Toronto you know, uh, that came out of it. We got the massive babyface turn by by Hogan. Um, you know, Scott Hall went by the wayside quickly. I mean, after WrestleMania 18 and Stone Cold stunned him into oblivion. Uh, I mean, that 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 was pretty much it for his uh, WWF run. And then, uh, yeah, he, I mean, he, he made it also, if you guys forget too, I think it was WrestleMania 31 at, um, when it was Sting against Triple H, yeah. we, we had him come back as kind of a nostalgic, uh, return to, uh, for some reason, which makes no sense if you follow anything WCW to help, you know, uh, to, to help Sting, which made no sense given what they did in WCW, but fine. And then we had Degeneration X face off against the NWO, a, a cool moment. And Scott Hall was involved in that too. Yeah, it was nice to see him come back and actually take a bump. And, like, that was a really cool visual. Obviously, they were, what, 10, 15 years old past yeah. their prime by that 
mean? But it still was a cool visual. I mean, the one thing about that that I always found kind of funny is, like, you had, like, Hogan, Hall, and Nash walking down the ramp, and they're squaring off with the New Age Outlaws and X-Pac, and I'm just like, how is this a fair fight in any which way, you know what I mean? But nonetheless, it was a pretty cool visual. Obviously, that match was anything but a five-star classic, and the finish was highly questionable, but I think just the visual in of itself of HBK with Degeneration X and Triple H on one side, Sting and Hogan on the other with the NWO kind of did it justice. It did. It did. And, uh, you know, look, I mean, it's it's sad. I'll be looking forward to hopefully some kind of documentary they put together and you know, seeing his career, hearing more about it. I'm sure Jim Ross on, on the podcast he does with uh, Conrad Thompson, that's highly successful. I'm sure they'll run through it. I'm sure you'll see a lot of the top podcasts do, do some interviews and do some stories and all that, which will be very interesting. And, and yes, it's a time for mourning right now, but eventually in the coming weeks, we will hopefully get a documentary or something or just I, I want to learn more about his career because I don't feel like I know enough about it. Um, and I, I want to I want to really just educate myself on it because he's a fascinating character that, as you just said earlier, doesn't get the respect he deserves and the admiration and, that he deserves for his career and his contributions. But all right, well, let's get back to the uh, the, the current state of WWE on the on the flip side. You got Biggie breaking his neck on Smackdown and uh, Ridge Holland doing it overhead belly to belly suplex on the outside. I mean, you, you, you could point fingers at who's to blame here and say Ridge didn't, you know, arch his back enough or give him enough lift or Big E didn't protect himself enough. I, I mean, I think the blame goes on Ridge Holland because we've had uh, Big E take this move many times before. He's he's the veteran. So I, I would assume if you're if we're going to play the blame game, sure, Ridge Holland is uh, to blame by accident, of course. But Big E luckily did not get paralyzed. He did break two of his um two uh what do you call them um i don't know what you call them two bones in his neck i think it's c2 and c6 did not sever the spinal cord or he'd be paralyzed uh and it looks like it's eight to 12 weeks of recovery as it stands now that's about three months or so so uh biggie got lucky but did you catch this on smackdown I actually am behind on SmackDown, believe it or not, but I saw the aftermath and the brief clip of it, and I got to say, that was pretty gruesome and kind of a reminder that this stuff is real. You know, when people always say, like, oh, that's fake, I always respond with, it's not fake, it's just predetermined, Mm -hmm. and... I guess scripted, but not even scripted because a lot of these things they call in the ring. And as far as Big E goes, in a weird way, like obviously him breaking his neck is not a good thing in any which way. That's a very dangerous injury. And to be honest, he's probably lucky in a lot of ways. But I do think that maybe him being off of television for a while is something that's that maybe a bit of silver lining here. And it's so tough to say that, right? Because because, you know, you broke your neck. Like, there is absolutely no silver lining to that. But I think that just strictly in terms of the character, not the man, because the man, obviously, you're just wishing for a speedy recovery and you're just happy that he's okay. And there's nothing good that you can make of that. But in terms of strictly the character, I feel like him going away for a bit was probably what's needed. Him sliding back into the New Day with no real explanation for it, you know, he loses his his championship at day one in the Fatal Five-Way match to Brock Lesnar, 
And then a couple weeks after that, he's back on SmackDown, tagging with Kofi Kingston, feuding with Shane Holland. I just felt like the character had a lot of damage done to its reputation. I felt like the character of Big E had lost a lot of credibility as a lot as mainly as a main event star, certainly as a single star as well. And I wonder if some time away from television will do him good when he finally does come back. There's no doubt that I will, because like you said, he, I, I think them him going back into the new day erased everything good that you thought they achieved with him as a single star. I mean, you talk about regressing. Even when he was on his quote-unquote singles run, they still couldn't help themselves with every time he was at a a premium live event, a pay-per-view, he would be reunited with Kofi or Woods doing something ridiculous. He wouldn't stop the clapping. He was always reminding you that, yeah, he's he's a singles star. I'm on my own, but uh, don't forget that I'm still kind of part of the New Day. I think that was a whole botched singles run in and of itself, but now he's fully back into the New Day, erasing anything you thought that they were going to do with him as a singles star beyond him dropping the belt and then immediately going back into the New Day. Um, but like you said, him getting a neck injury, if you're going to find something to, to hang your hat on, it would be, yeah, that, uh, you know, I guess absence makes the heart grow fonder, as they always say. And my fear, though, is, yeah, that he'll get a big return, a big applause when he gets back, a, a hero's welcome after a few months, and people will be happy he's back. But then after a few weeks, that wears off, and he's just back into the new day doing his gyrating and you know, all is well. Uh, I, I, that's what I'm fearful of is, OK, he gets that big, nice re- reaction, but then that's it. And he's right back with Woods and Kofi doing ridiculous sophomoric things. So, again, we're, we're separating the man, as you said, and we're separating the character. The man, of course, I mean, I, I can't stand his character, but that doesn't mean that I don't I, I want him to be injured. Of course not. I mean, I'm not dumb enough to to or, or uh, I don't know, whatever the word is to to want the character and the man to be injured. Of course not. Uh, and, and yes, I, I'm not a fan of the character, but this is going to do his character some good. It's just a matter of can they capitalize on it or do they just slide him right back into the new day as if nothing's different? Ooh, he gets a big reaction and then the next week it's forgotten. Do you think his career as a singles wrestler is rectifiable? It is, but then they're starting from ground zero again. I mean, they could remind, remind you, oh, he's a he's a WWE, former WWE champion. Well, so is Kofi Kingston, but you don't think of him like that anymore. He, you, you will forever just look at Kofi Kingston as just part of the New Day because they, they just they can't. There's this gravitational pull with the New Day that they cannot escape. I don't know what it is, why they continue to just to have this group together when all three, honestly, could be on their own doing very well, especially Woods. Who I, I mean, I can't stand any of these three. Like, let's be clear. I mean, I think Kofi's the worst, then Woods, then then Big E. When it, if you're going to rank it in terms of insufferability, I think it's Kofi, Woods, and, and Big E. But all three have been together long enough that they they have shown you that when the other teammates are injured, they can hold their own and they can have great, really good matches, especially Woods. And why they continue i don't know if it's it's sales or t-shirt sales or if for whatever reason the crowd continues to cheer every time they hear their music which i i I blame the fans just as much as i blame vince on this why they continue to have the new day get together and be a thing i don't know but the the crowd if they started to just boo the new day maybe that's their sign i mean but they don't for whatever reason it's like the one group that wwe's put together that 
doesn't have a, a kryptonite. I don't know what it is about it, why the fans continue to cheer for them. So I blame the fans as much as Vince. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see all three on their own. I mean, I really would. I don't care. I don't even care if there's a heel turn. If they just quietly disband, I'm cool with that, too. You're listening to the WWE Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Do you guys love mobile racing games and NFT collections? Then check out Meta Racer X. It's a mobile racing game, NFT collection, and VR gaming experience all rolled into one. With the earn element utilizing Prodigy tokens, players are not only able to put their tokens online in gameplay, but have the ability to grow their Prodigy token holdings by investing or earning in-game incentives. MetaRacer X offers high-end graphic gaming experiences with creative gameplay and a competitive racing system. So check them out. It's MetaRacerX.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at Meta underscore Racer underscore X or on Twitter at Meta underscore Racer X. Meta Racer X is a collection of 10,000 unique 3D art pieces that are about to drop on the Ethereum blockchain. They also have a Discord server. Just search for Meta Racers X. You can also just directly link to that Discord server and all of the social media that I just told you. If you look at their Twitter, uh, they have a link tree where all of these are available for you. But if you want more information, you can, of course, check them out on social media. But I would recommend you go right to their website at MetaRacerX.com. They're building a community of gamers, NFT collectors, and fans of racing. They're rolling out a motorsport NFT collection created by, by a major design studio, and they use NFTs to race the community and earn prizes. And the most exciting element of the project, their introduction of MRX to the VR world. Guys, check out MetaRacerX.com today. Welcome back to the WWE Podcast. Let's get back to more great wrestling audio. It's weird because I remember when the New Day started, I think they were booked as baby faces, if I'm not mistaken, early, early, early on. And I absolutely despised them. And then when they turned heel and just became like over the top trolls and their purpose was to get on my nerves, I found them oddly charming and appealing. And I actually found them kind of hilarious. And when they turned babyface originally, I was okay with it because they had just gotten organically over as heels, at least in my mind. But it's just been so stale for so long now that now I'm also kind of over it as well. But I wonder if WWE is insistent on keeping the New Day together because of whatever it might be, merchandise sales, trying to push them as the greatest tag team of all time and or the greatest faction of all time, whatever it be. If their ultimate goal is to keep this together for as long as they can, do you think turning them heel could maybe make it more palatable? Yes. I mean, I'd say the same thing about Goldberg. I said, I mean, any time that you have a group that's been together for so long and they're starting to feel stale, why don't you think about the other side of the coin? Absolutely. If There, there is something there to turn them heel. I think they could all do it. To me, they're already a heel group. I mean, with the way they act and how childish they all are. and I mean, you, you and I have gone over it chapter and verse. I mean, to me, they really don't have to do anything to turn heel. But for the rest of the fans that cheer them, of course, they'll have to start to 
run down the crowd or or do the, 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 the typical changing of the music, change the attire, blame the audience for their lack of success, all, all that stuff. I mean, they could do it, though. They're all very talented and, and more than talented enough to do it. Yes, absolutely, they could. And I think that they should, and it'd be interesting as hell. So if you don't want to break them up, I would be very interested in a New Day heel turn. Like, what exactly does that look like? You can't have the same entrance music. You got to change it somehow. Um, I, I mean, what is that? I mean, but again, while this is fun to, to kind of think about, the problem is I, I every time I think they're going to turn them heel, they, or, or at least have somebody break off or somebody turn like, you know, Seth did to, to the shield and somebody stab the other one in the back. It's never happened. And I don't think they will because I think they want to be able to say at the end of the day, when all of this is said and done, that this team is one of the only ones that never imploded. It was the one of the only teams in WWE history that, you know, survived the test of time. That's my, that's my fear. I, I guess that's, I suppose that's the angle they're going down, and I suppose from a monetary perspective, they can back it up. It's just like, I I would like to see them heal again, because I remember the one promo they cut with The Rock, where The Rock said they were wearing llama penises on their head, and I found that extremely, (laughs) extremely funny. And I, and like, you know, even Big E, honestly, even he himself, and Woods as well, I thought Woods had a very cool aspect about him when they were healed to be honest i'll be perfectly frank with you i have no problem with Big E or xavier woods it's strictly kofi kingston kofi kingston is the one member that makes it nauseating for me to watch if it was just woods and Big E, and they didn't even turn them heel they just continued down this path the same old same old new day but just xavier woods and Big E. I wouldn't be huge fans of them, but I would be like, oh, okay, there's the New Day. Just completely neutral on the whole thing. I know we've talked a lot about uh, uh, Kofi Kingston before and in the past, but if they had just removed Kofi Kingston, would it be more stomachable for you? Yeah, oh, yeah, it would. I mean, I still wouldn't go to a, an event and get their T-shirts or buy bootios or get unicorn horns or anything like that. I mean, I, I would never, ever contribute to their to their merchandise, ever. Even if my children wanted it, I would tell them, sorry, they're sold out. I mean, like, I, I wouldn't, I would never, ever purchase anything of theirs to line their pockets in support of their, their characters. But that said, uh, if you remove the cancer of Kofi Kingston from that group, I, I think it would, it would be at least to the point where I don't want to change the channel, so to speak. It would be, it, it would just be like, okay, what does this look like now? We know what Big E is. He's the, the big, gyrating, super strong, over-the-top, bug-eyed at times uh, character. I mean, he, sometimes his eyes are hilarious. I mean, some, I remember when they first started, it was funny. But it's just been so long, it's like, come on, dude. Like, like I don't know. It's just I, That's why it's amazing the, the crowd hasn't turned on them with the same act night after night for, what, eight years now. Uh, so, but yeah, you remove Kofi Kingston, and at least I'd look at this and say, okay, let's, I'll give it a try, because Kofi Kingston is that bad. He is that awful of a character that you, I, I want to see someone throw him <laughs> off the top of the Hell in a Cell with no crash pad. Like, I, I mean, I, 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 if there was some way to, I mean, I'm not actually trying to say I want injury to happen, but if there was some way 
to not hurt the man but destroy the character, if that was even possible in an alternate universe, that's what I would do. I'd have flaming tables around the cell, and someone just toss his ass off of the cell, which would uh, alleviate any problem that you have with that character. It would force a character change, or at least him out for like a, a year. I don't know. But yeah, I'd love to. I would like to see what that looks like. It's crazy because I remember at the 2009, it was 2019, right, where SmackDown moved to Fox. Yep. And Brock beat him in nine seconds for the championship, and everyone was so outraged about it. And I remember sitting like, that's the best booking decision they could have possibly gone down. Because if you had Kofi Kingston mount even an inch of offense on Brock, it wouldn't have been believable. And to be honest... I found it just so satisfying to watch. And that's not the way I'm supposed to feel. You know what I mean? Brock was still in his heel character at the time. Kofi Kingston had been, like, trying to be booked as Daniel Bryan 2.0 in 2019. But I never got behind it. And I tried. I tried to be like, oh, you know, he's been around for 10 years. Like, he deserves it. He's a good soldier. He's always there, always does what's best for business. But I, I, there's just something about his character that even before the New Day, I felt it was such a shallow character. There was just nothing to it. He was a he was a Jamaican guy who wasn't actually Jamaican. Like I don't know. Maybe it was just kind of like a predetermined narrative with Kofi Kingston by the time he got to the New Day. But I have long thought that they would have just been better off with just Woods and Biggie. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> It was, I agree with that. I mean, I remember that when they went to Fox, it was July 19th, 2019. I remember that date because I'm with you. I looked at that and I was just thinking to myself, the fantasy of Kofi Kingston just met the reality of Brock Lesnar. I mean, they, it was just reality getting, uh, just smacking the face right off of fantasy run that, that uh, Kofi was on of. You know, the, the stupid pancakes behind the belt and all the stuff. I mean, it, it was it was it was embarrassing. You and I have talked about that at length, how just uh, uh, absolutely embarrassing and unwatchable he was as champion. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I loved it, too, because it, it, it was just it, it outraged so many people. And I was sitting there with the biggest smile on my face like this is awesome. Thank you. That's exactly what we wanted. Uh, or at least you and I and, and maybe some people that listen to wrestling podcasts. But. Anyway, uh, before we before we close it out, I do want to bring it back to uh, the current state of WWE and talk about one more thing. I mean, there are so many things we could talk about. You could do like a 10-part series on this. But Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens put out the challenge last week on Raw. He said to Stone Cold, come to the Kevin Owens show. He said he's going to stun him, and it'll be a stunner that people will be talking about for, you know, for generations or whatever he said. And he made fun of his knees and how he probably is out of shape because he drinks beer all the time. And now Stone Cold responded. I'm sure you've seen it. He put it out. He looks like he's on his ranch in Texas or wherever he is. And uh, he said to Kevin Owens, obviously I accept, but that you can call this a match. You can call it a brawl. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> okay, we all knew you were going to accept. You can't throw the ma- the word match out there loosely, right? We know this is in the framework of the Kevin Owens show. But it's clear that it's just going to be a fight. So why we even need the framework of a Kevin Owens show makes no sense. It's like they want to tell you it's it's not a match, but it, it's a brawl. It's weird, right? Like, what do you think about all this? The fact that he brought up 
his match with The Rock 19 years ago is getting me a little scared that there will be an official match of swords. And the first thing that came to my mind was The Rock versus Eric Rowan at WrestleMania 32. Yep. Something like that. Something where they're going to do a 10 to 15 minute bit in the ring. They're going to brawl to the outside. Then a ref will come down and then Austin will hit him with a stunner and close the match out within a minute or two. That's what I think is going to happen. I think they kind of maybe inadvertently tipped their cap in the promo that Stone Cold Steve Austin cut, uh, which was good. Stone Cold Steve Austin is still just as good as anyone uh, on the mic. But look, I'm scared in one way because he has been that guy that has stayed true to his word, that he never put the boots back on, and he when he retired, that was it. Shawn Michaels was one of those guys until his embarrassing return to Saudi Arabia. I believe that was in 2018. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and that just completely destroyed whatever legacy he may have had. You know, there, there's something to be said about going out when you're still, you know, in your prime. And I think, like, a guy like Triple H, at this point, it would be best served for him to maybe stay down that road like i don't even remember the last time we saw triple h in the ring something tells me it was against randy orton at like super showdown or something like that or in saudi arabia um but i think like if triple h were to come back in the ring he would have some of that like undertaker's um, syndrome is not the correct word but that maybe that aura about him like oh like you're not triple h anymore you're like an old version of triple h and Stone Cold Steve Austin still has that about him, that the last time we remember him in the ring, he was in his prime going toe-to-toe with the best rival he ever faced in The Rock and one of the best competitors ever, or even a guy like The Rock. You know, we're all expecting him to come back some point to face Roman Reigns, but to this point, and no, I'm not counting the Eric Rowan match, the last time we saw him in the ring was against John Cena, what is it, nine years ago now? And... You know, not to say that he was in tip-top shape either. I believe he tore, like, his abdominal muscle off his pelvis in that match. But still, in terms of the visual and aesthetically, he looked as good as ever. So while in some way I'm kind of excited to see Austin in what seems like is a match capacity, I'm also kind of trepidatious for all the reasons I just outlined. I'm, I am a little as well. However, I, I do have faith in what Austin has said in the past about when he gets asked about coming back for that one more match or one more match, you know, how many times, every time WrestleMania rolls around for the last 19 years, we have speculated and, and thought, well, wait, well, what if Austin comes back? And he's made it very clear too, that the one guy he would like to face and he never has faced, if he ever did come back was Brock Lesnar. However, Brock is tied up at the moment with Roman Reigns. So, uh, there's so many ways to look at this because Austin threw that ma- that word match in there, very kind of s- just bunched it in with all the other words, a brawl, a fight, whatever he said, he, he's a match, whatever. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you don't just get to you don't just get to lump in match with the rest of that because either you you have a referee there to count the three or you don't. Well, you know what is it? You can't just say that word match in there and expect us not to think about is this a match or not. Um, you're right, though. When he brought up the match at WrestleMania 19, he said, you woke up something inside me that's been, 
you know, uh, that, that's been buried for 19 years. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. He, he's been back how many times throughout the years since he retired in 03 to kick somebody's ass at WrestleMania or at when Monday Night Raw, he came back. He stunned AJ Styles. He was the sheriff in 2003. I mean, how many times I mean, we've seen it throughout the years where he wasn't in a match, but he came back to kick some ass and, you know, whatever. So the fact that he did reference the last match he had was very interesting. And that that does have me a little concerned. But my original point was going to be that Austin has said when he gets asked this question that he would not come back if he didn't feel he could be at the level he once was. So if that's the case, maybe he has for the last six months, maybe been training. Maybe he's been training behind the scenes. We wouldn't know for this particular matchup with Kevin Owens. I think also Kevin Owens is not in AEW because of this, because Kevin Owens for months was counting down the number of days until his contract with WWE was up. He even talked about it on Raw, kind of under the radar. And I think that when his contract was proposed to him by Vince, Vince said, what's it going to take to to keep you here? And maybe he said, you know, a, a match or something with Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania, and boom, here we are. I think this had a lot to do with Kevin Owens not signing with AEW because Kevin Owens has said many times that he is here because of Stone Cold Steve Austin in, in terms of getting in the wrestling industry. He was his favorite wrestler of all time, you know, that, that kind of thing. That, so that's my assumption. I don't know that for a fact, but I think it had a lot to do with the contract negotiations many months ago. All that said, I think that Kevin Owens and, and Stone Cold will, I hate to say this, but unfortunately have a match. It's like they want to have a match without saying it's the, the, the pressure of billing it as a match. They want to just kind of have it naturally kind of organically turn into one, like you said with the Eric Rowan rock thing. That was, just, I mean, that, that the more I think about that, the more that kind of pisses me off about that match because it's not even a match. I don't want to get into that, but I think it may be something like that where it's like a, a, a 90 second, two minute quote unquote match as they brawl, a referee comes down. Okay. Austin hits the three count and that's that. The last thing I'll say is that, do you think I'll ask this to you that, uh, say things go really well. Austin feels great. He has this quote unquote match. He is feeling good. Do you think he's looking at this as kind of a litmus test for, huh? Could I have one or two matches left, real promoted matches left in me with like a Brock Lesnar or whoever? Or do you think this is a one-off and this is totally it no matter how he feels afterwards? I think it's a one-off just because I think that the fact that Austin has stayed true to his word of staying retired means a lot to him. He seems like a very proud guy and that he values that he went out while he still felt like he was on top. Obviously, his health was declining rapidly at that time, but he walked away before it became glaringly evident. What I do think is maybe Austin will put himself back in more of a consistent on-screen role. Like, I've long thought, like, I don't know why he doesn't come back and be, like, an on-screen authority figure more often, even if it's just, like, once a month or something. I think the the GM slash sheriff era of him on Monday Night Raw was way too short-lived. I thought it had much more uh, tread left on that tire. And I think, like, that is something that we could and should see more of Stone Cold Steve Austin. I think that is a character that fit him like a glove, I thought that his, you know, in like his mic skills are second to none. 
I, I just think that is something that would be more realistic than an in-ring return. I, I The thing is, is that I just don't want to lose that image of Stone Cold Steve Austin as forever going out on top. That's why I still, to this day, have not watched the HBK return. You know, because oh, I, saw, I never watched it because I knew, <laughs> don't, it was that bad. Eh? Don't. Uh, yeah, and it, not only was it not a great performance by every single person in that match, which Triple H has actually spoken about in the documentary, I mean, it, it was really bad for everyone involved. Taker, Kane, uh, and uh, and Sean and Triple H, everybody, it, it was just bad. Uh, and not only that, you take that out of the fact that Sean came out of retirement, which wasn't even made a big deal about for some reason. You you had that, but Sean had a bald head. Bald head for Shawn Michaels is really bad. I know that he has a, re, a, a receding hairline, so he said, ah, screw it, I'm shaving it. It looked, it was distractingly bad. Shawn Michaels without hair, it, it, it's, 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 like, it's scary. It's like a Halloween costume. I don't want to see it. I, I just don't watch it. There's no reason to. It's too bad because it worked really well for Triple H, the bald head. Yes. And I guess that's why he tried it, but... I saw it happen with too many guys where they would come back and come back and come back. And before you knew it, they weren't even themselves anymore. And it, for me, it was The Undertaker. The Undertaker for me is what kind of left me scarred. After I saw him at WrestleMania 33 against Roman Reigns, and to this date, he has said on numerous platforms, whether it be on Austin's show or The Last Ride, that he had no business being in that match um, at WrestleMania 33 against Roman Reigns. That, to me, will forever be kind of like the example I use when there's the pitched idea of an older wrestler coming back out of retirement. Now, obviously, you could have other types of examples that have worked, like The Rock coming back after seven or eight years and looking fairly decent. Even Goldberg, to an extent, you know, not looking horrible considering you know, his age and everything, but it's, but Goldberg was just never a great in-ring wrestler, even in his prime. But for me, my worst nightmare would be Austin coming back and just looking absolutely atrocious because I'm not going to lie, Matt, like what the undertaker did sticking around for as long as he did really left me with a poor image of his character. And I will forever have a tainted view on the undertaker character because the last three, four matches he had, one of them being against Goldberg in Saudi Arabia, were just so awful. Maybe it's for the best that he had his final match as a pre-taped cemetery cinematic spectacle against AJ Styles. Because I don't know how he would have done against AJ in front of a live crowd. Now, AJ, I think, would have carried that match. I think he was a honestly, I think he was a perfect opponent from a style standpoint, no pun intended, just from a mechanics and being able to carry 90% of the match with Undertaker, not having to flip-flop and fly, AJ would have done all that and worked very well, I think, with Taker. I, I still think that maybe it's best that it was pre-taped and COVID may have been, been the best thing ever for Undertaker's career as his final match. Um, I had one thing yeah. I want to run by you quickly before we close it out. In retrospect now because that they've gone away from the cinematic matches and it seemed like it was just during the era in the um in the performance center are you more accepting now in hindsight that they did those cinematic matches because they were just trying to make with like the best case scenario of what they had to work with 
I mean, I guess it's it, to me, it's levels of awfulness. Like I, I'm not a fan of it as a whole. I mean, it, it's like asking me, what's my favorite seafood? I hate all seafood. I don't care. Oh, what about shrimp? What about fish? What about haddock? What about lobster? What about crab? I, I don't care what tuna out of a can. Nothing. I mean, like, there's not a single item of seafood I like. So with my analogy here, my point is I don't like anything cinematic because it totally exposes the business. And they try to be a movie company rather than a pro wrestling company and, and do what they're 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 good at. Now, that means that I don't care what they do with cinematic. I probably won't like it. And, and the same thing like with seafood. You can serve it to me however you want. I'm not going to like it. So um, do I look back on it with fondness or acceptance? I mean, I how, how about this? I understand why they did it. I understand why they did it because it was unprecedented times. You you got to be creative. You got to you know try to do something new and different. So I respect it and I understand it. I don't like it. And then even in retrospect now, I still don't like it. But that's it's not all for you know for for just people like myself that came from the 90s and, and looking at this stuff going this is this is this is just embarrassing. I mean, not everything was, but there were some really, really bad ones like the TLC or the uh, Money in the Bank ladder match where both the men and the women were going through the headquarters and trying to get to the top. That may have still been the worst thing I've ever seen in pro wrestling ever. <laughs> I'm talking worse than Bailey. This is your life. The Katie Vick angle. I, I it, it to me, it supersedes them all. And th- that said, my point is, I, I, I understand it, but I don't like it. Yeah, uh, I understood it too. I was just happy that they didn't go back to it. Like once they got into the Thunderdome, that was it, and it was over. Because I had a fear that they were going to try and stretch this on even back into regular times. But uh, I mean, the la- the the what was it called? Boneyard match. That one. Bone- I- Boneyard. Yeah. I think that was the best of all of them because it kind of, like you said, protected the Undertaker. In a way that the last time we saw him, we didn't have to actually see him in a actual wrestling ring. The Firefly Funhouse match, I don't even know what that was. That literally looked like I popped LSD and was watching it. But mm-hmm. uh, it, do you remember, like, what the hell was that, the Firefly match? Well, now, if Mary Grader and or uh, Zach Smith or NXT host or Mary are listening to this, they... They had a, a fun time with me on that because they tried to they tried to sell me on why this was a good match. I remember our WrestleMania review for that one, and I destroyed it. I thought it was terrible. And they, their argument was that, well, you know, it had so many layers, and it was so thoughtfully and well done about this. This was something that Bray brought to the forefront of Hulk Hogan being compared to John Cena. And they, they tried to create you know, mixed reality of what people thought about John Cena behind the scenes into reality. And they, they went through all these layers of things. And I'm like, first of all, I shouldn't have to think that hard with pro wrestling. I don't watch pro wrestling to really go, huh, wow, well, let me sit and think about this. It should, it's mindless entertainment. And I mean that in a respectful way. But we all watch TV to zone out, right? So I don't want to have to think too hard. And with that, I think, yeah, it was it was an acid trip. Um, you, you certainly could frame by frame do some kind of analysis on it of of all the different things that they did, all the scenes they shot and why they shot them. And you could get into depth about what it meant for Bray's career and John Cena's career at this time and why John Cena was playing along. Like, oh, I mean, it's it, 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 I hated it. I hated it. 
I still don't like it. Nobody will convince me to like it, but that it, it's not for my target audience. I thought it was I thought it was hot garbage, and I still do. Uh, I understand all the thought that went into it. And I respect that. Again, it's just it's just not for me. That's all. Yeah, I agree. I, I respected the psychology behind it. You know, I can understand where they were going with it, and I will give them like an applause, not like they're looking for my applause. <laughs> about all the psychology that went into it but it wasn't wrestling i don't even know what it was and then obviously you had the swamp match which was another disaster but uh yeah i guess i just wanted to throw that out there that just in retrospect to be like i guess i'm with you as well i don't like those types of matches but at least i understand why they did them in retrospect yeah definitely yeah i i i understand and respect it it's just if if it's if you don't like it you're not going to like it but that doesn't mean you can't respect their decision to try and i do i i totally respect their decision to try we were we were in a pandemic all that and uh so yeah all right well let's close it out here uh before we go anthony and let everyone know of course where they can find you and uh your your rivalries episode that's coming up on friday yeah, well, as always, you can get me on Twitter at Adamarco25, and uh, at, like you just brought up, rivalries every Friday. The last one, we covered The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, but specifically their rivalry in 2003, which I found was appropriate because it was Austin's last rivalry and ultimately his last match. And uh, I thought it was just kind of cool to go back and give some context on the last time that Austin was an in-ring competitor. Very good. Yeah, it was well done and uh, certainly relevant right now. Not that The Rock and Austin are going to have a part four, but given that the rumors of Austin coming out of retirement for a a match that we just discussed, it is relevant and uh, a fun rivalry. Absolutely. In some ways, it was a not that most people would agree with me, but in some ways it may have been their best act of their of their three. 17 was their biggest and I think their best match in ring, but three had a lot of emotion tied to it that uh, at the time, obviously none of us knew except Jim Ross that that was going to be his last match. Um, But yeah. All right. Well, very good, Anthony. Thank you for joining us tonight as we covered the current state of WWE and beyond with a lot of sad news, but uh, a lot to look forward to as WrestleMania 38 approaches in a little over, little over two weeks now. So yeah, man, looking forward to WrestleMania and looking forward to part three next week. Sounds good, man. Have a good night. Take it easy. Do you guys love mobile racing games and NFT collections? Then check out Meta Racer X. It's a mobile racing game, NFT collection, and VR gaming experience all rolled into one. With the earn element utilizing Prodigy tokens, players are not only able to put their tokens online in gameplay, but have the ability to grow their Prodigy token holdings by investing or earning in-game incentives. MetaRacer X offers high-end graphic gaming experiences with creative gameplay and a competitive racing system. So check them out. It's MetaRacerX.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at Meta underscore Racer underscore X or on Twitter at Meta underscore Racer X. MetaRacer X is a collection of 10,000 unique 3D art pieces that are about to drop on the Ethereum blockchain. They also have a Discord server. Just search for MetaRacers X. You can also just directly link to that Discord server and all of the social media that I just told you. If you look at their Twitter, uh, they have a link tree where all of these are available for you. But if you want more information, you can, of course, check them out on social media. But I would recommend you go right to their website at MetaRacerX.com.
They're building a community of gamers, NFT collectors, and fans of racing. They're rolling out a motorsport NFT collection created by, by a major design studio, and they use NFTs to race the community and earn prizes. And the most exciting element of the project, their introduction of MRX to the VR world. Guys, check out MetaRacerX.com today. Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show. Or head to WWEPodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to Patreon.com slash WWEPodcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.